0: It kind of went a little bit viral.
1: Canberrans are the best, but that point aside...
2: I don't think the university is going far enough. It was scary. It was really scary.
3: Cut your hair, put on a suit and infiltrate.
2: It was always... There's nothing we couldn't achieve just because of gender.
4: This is Caught in the Act on Two 2XFM.
2: Good evening and welcome to Court in the Act, where we discuss anything and everything affecting young people in Canberra. I'm Zoe Halstead and I'm here today with Josh Begby and Loretta Lachner. And we've got a pretty exciting show ahead. Tonight's show has a bit of a social justice bent to it. We'll be hearing about the Yes Campaign's tactics in the same-sex marriage postal plebiscite, as well as the experiences of a Canberran who used to live on Christmas Island. But first... This is Dreams I Could Recall by Azim Zane and His Lovely Bones.
4: filter or oh.
2: You're listening to Two FM. That was Dreams I Could Recall by Azeem Zayn and his lovely Bones. You're listening to Caught in the Act. The debate around same-sex marriage has been provocative, to say the least. Not just in its content, but in how the two campaigns have operated. From deliberately provocative billboards to sabotaging ballot papers to Macklemore's performance at the NRL Grand Final on the weekend. The campaign has provoked outrage at every step. One technique that has been utilised by the Yes Camp is the use of a crowdsourced cold-calling service, which encourages everyday Yes voters to speak to a random fellow Australian over the phone and encourage them to vote. So what's it like to have this conversation with a stranger? And does it really make a difference? Ebony Bennett grabbed 10 of her colleagues and friends and decided to find out for herself. Our reporter, Josh Begby, started by asking her how she got the ball rolling.
5: Basically, if you sign up to the... At yes.org.au, they send you a helpful little video to show you how it works, um, a script, so you know exactly what to say. And yeah, it was was really fun.
1: And between the 10 of you, how many calls do you think you made throughout the night?
5: Oh, I reckon I made about 30 or 35 myself. Um, And yeah, so that's a a lot of calls if you multiply that Mm, by 10. A lot of those end up being uh, answering machines, a surprising (laughs) number. But you do get, uh, you know, about a dozen or so good conversations in about an hour and a half, I guess. Mm. And yeah, people were, for the most part, really happy to hear from the yes campaign, eager to tell us that they were voting yes. And um, it was a really positive evening.
1: Now, given that it's such a vexatious issue, you must have spoken to people who um, didn't agree or on the other side of the issue. Uh, How did those conversations go?
5: Yeah, look, they were a little more rare, I guess. Um, We had a couple of people just hang up straight away, either not interested or probably not supporting the the Yes campaign. So I guess in that respect, we probably avoided uh, a lot of more confrontational conversations. But there was a couple of people who kind of were sitting on the fence. Um, They maybe were thinking of voting Yes, but it didn't affect them personally or it wasn't the most important thing in their life right now. So, uh, you know, you can have a conversation just encouraging those people that um, it's important to vote yes for a lot of people right across Australia. Uh, but, But the real focus of it is knowing that a majority of Australians do support equal marriage and have done for many, many years. It's just encouraging all those yes voters to make sure that they tick yes on that survey form and post it back as soon as they can. Because the longer they leave it, the more likely they are to forget about it, which is uh, only good for the no campaign.
1: But did that sense of, I'm struggling to think of a better word than almost nagging people, was there animosity there that people felt that they were unnecessarily being disrupted in their private lives?
5: (laughs) Yeah, look, occasionally you did come across someone like that. Um, But, you know, that's not the intention of the campaign. So those are fairly easy to deal with politely. Um, But as I said, overwhelmingly, people were really keen to hear from um, the Yes campaign, eager to tell you that they were voting yes. Um, And so that was quite positive. And for a number of people who came along that night, it was their first time ever doing this kind of campaigning. They'd never done it before. so it's reasonably intimidating to make cold calls to, you know, rando members of the public. Absolutely. Um, but, yeah, the yes campaign gives you all the tools that you need, and there's a script there to follow and Really, because your job is not to persuade anyone to change their no vote to a yes" vote, um you know they're quite straightforward conversations to have, and if people don't want to talk to you, that's fine, and you just hang up and you know um move on to the next conversation, so that's you know no problems at all
1: mm. so given that you are involved in the campaign, I'd love to get your thoughts on the relatively recent news um that was around last weekend there were some texts sent out from the Yes campaign, um, similar to the cold calling situation where people hadn't you know, engaged in the campaign much, got these texts, encouraging people to return their ballots with, with a Yes on them. Um, and it provoked a bit of a response online. What was your response to that?
5: Yeah, look, I should make clear that I'm just a volunteer. I don't represent the Yes campaign, but I've also been door knocking, so I'm a very enthusiastic uh, <laughs> supporter of it. Um, Yeah, look, I can understand uh, people think it's uh, intrusive, but I guess the Yes campaign, you know, a lot of people argued against this plebiscite. We said it was going to be divisive. Um, There's concerns from the, the gay community about the impact it would have on young people's mental health. So this isn't a plebiscite that anyone was asking for, but now that it's on, it's absolutely imperative that the yes vote wins and so I think uh, people should understand that the yes campaign is going to pull out all the stops possible to ensure that gay and lesbian people around Australia have equal rights with everybody else when it comes to marriage and you know they face a lot of discrimination and bullying particularly teenagers and so I think it's important to put one single text message in a bit of perspective
1: no absolutely absolutely Do you think there's any risk of turning people who are on the fence on the wrong side?
5: Yeah, perhaps that is a risk, but I imagine the people at the Yes campaign have weighed that up against the opportunity of contacting all those people who are intending to vote yes, but maybe have forgotten about it, or it's at the bottom of the pile of bills, you know, all of those kinds of things. Maybe you're a young person who doesn't use the post very often, Mm. whatever it is, it's so important to remind everyone to return their ballot. And that's really the aim uh, of what the Yes campaign is trying to do. We know that the numbers are with the Yes campaign. The majority of Australians do support marriage equality. uh, And so that's what's most important. And that's the reason why You know, they're doing advertising, they're sending text messages, they're advertising on Facebook, the same as in any election campaign,
1: essentially. Mm -hmm. So, Ebony, if people do want to run an event like the one that you ran, what should they do?
5: Yeah, so I would encourage people to both sign up for either a calling event uh, or you can even sign up and just make calls from in your own home and I've also been door knocking and again people were just so happy to see us from the yes campaign Um, so that was a really positive experience as well Uh, but all you have to do is visit yes.org.au and uh, there's plenty of ways uh, to sign up to help the campaign there.
2: That was caught in the act presenter, Josh Begbie, talking to Ebony Bennett about the Yes campaign for the same-sex marriage plebiscite. Josh, what did you learn from that
3: interview?
1: Well, I think this campaign has really provoked people who wouldn't who wouldn't normally campaign for anything to get involved, which is really impressive. Have you guys ever campaigned for an issue before? And how was it, you know, knocking on doors and things like that?
0: I can't say I've ever been actively um, involved in any campaign, but I do think that the same-sex marriage campaign is really interesting and in that it's made people more active online which still makes them a keyboard warrior but i think that it's a campaign that people are really taking more action on than i think they would for anything else
1: Mm. i think uh, one of the criticisms of social media is it can be a bit of an echo chamber and part of what's scary about this cold calling system is you you could be calling someone in you know the middle of western australia or in the northern territory or anywhere and you have no idea what they're what they're about and as ebony says in the uh in the piece it's not about convincing a no voter to vote yes it's just more of a nag sort of reminding someone like hey just if you haven't yet make sure you get it in but still i'm sure there's abuse that flies around it must be scary
2: yeah i definitely i definitely think it would be a nerve wracking situation i've done a tiny bit of door knocking but that was for charity and i think people don't really get mad at charity so it's not it's not quite the same thing but um It is nerve-wracking when you're knocking on the door and people are automatically going to have assumptions about you. They're going to think that, you know, you're there to harass them or make them do something that uh, they don't want to do. Uh, So I think it it definitely is difficult, those first few minutes of trying to convince someone, you know, not not to shut the door, not to hang up the phone and actually listen to you.
1: Mm. And I wonder if this is people will have drunk the campaign Kool-Aid now and be more likely to hit the streets for another issue that comes up in the elections, for example.
0: I certainly think it's made people more active in um, voicing their opinions. And I think people are probably more comfortable voicing their opinions now, although perhaps they're not. I mean, that, again, could be just my echo chamber.
1: Mm, possibly. Did either of you guys get the, the text message last weekend about the um, reminding you to vote yes?
2: Yeah, I did get that text message and i kind of just ignored it and then i heard all this coverage about of being like you know it's outrageous and you know it's against our privacy and then i was like oh maybe i should be mad about this like how did they get my phone number but when i saw it you know you just get so many promotional texts i'm like oh there's another one
1: bit of a storm in a teacup
2: i think the really
0: interesting thing about the text message and a lot of the campaigns that um the yes campaign have used i mean they're just asking people to vote they're not necessarily saying go out and vote yes a lot of Um, It is basically just make sure you send that ballot in. But the fact that the no campaign has used sort of muddied that um, by bringing things like privacy um, and all of those genuine fears that people have. It's not to say that you shouldn't be worried because um, the government has your whoever has your uh, phone number. But all of these messages that could have been pretty positive, really, have been muddied. Um, And I think that's kind of where the Yes campaign has kind of failed.
4: Mm.
2: It's it's funny you say that, though, because I think Corey Bernardi was really vocal in condemning the Yes campaign for sending out these text messages because it was so invasive. But then he instead decided to take the cold calling approach as well, because apparently a phone call is much less invasive than a text message. Um, So I think everyone's on both sides of this debate, is kind of confused about where the lines are drawn in terms of campaigning here and what is and isn't acceptable. And I think especially for the Yes campaign, when they saw just how kind of vicious the no camp was, I think that sort of rewrote the rules for the Yes campaign and they felt like they should do more. Next up, I'm going to be talking to a Canberra Uni student about her experience living on Christmas Island. Uh, but right now, this is Harrison Storm's new single, Change It All.
4: I can only hear Show powered radio two ninety eight point
3: three fm.
2: That was Harrison Storms' track, Change It All. This week, you'll be hearing the first instalment of a two part conversation I had with a Canberra Uni student who used to live in Christmas Island. We discussed the difficulties of moving to a new place where everyone knows everything about you before you even get there. My dad
3: got a job over there. And it meant the whole family picked up and we all moved it with him. I was 14 years old and it was the first time I had kind of left since I was younger. And did you know much about Christmas Island before you moved? I honestly thought it was off the coast of Queensland. Um, And now I look back in hindsight and I wonder why I didn't kind of use social media to kind of see what life was before. But um, I went there with no expectations. I didn't even know what it looked like. And so how did you find it being a newcomer when you you did get there? It was really hard because um, everyone knew everyone and a lot of people go to Christmas Island especially to do with uh, the detention centre and they leave soon after. So a lot of people didn't want to kind of get to know me because they knew I would be leaving in two years and that was a sure thing. So it was hard to make friends in the traditional way that normally people do. I definitely made um, friends but it was a lot harder and uh, there's a select people that you can be friends with. So I think you have to be more lenient as a person to some attributes that maybe I would normally not go for in people that I found to actually like in people because I had no choice. I think it was assumed the people that I would get along with based on being white. um, In some previous year groups, there was a lot of the white girls would – Uh, be the closest, mainly because they shared a very similar culture and family life. I was open to anything. I have a lot of great friends that um, were Malaysian or uh, Chinese or Australian. It didn't really matter for me. But yeah, I think there were definitely assumptions that I would um, get along only with the white girls. It's really funny because I tell people when I was in U9 and U10, I was the only white girl. And it's one of the best experiences of my life to be a minority because I have so much respect for people who come to Australia as immigrants or as refugees because you can understand how hard it is to walk into um, a classroom and be different to everyone. Um, and it was definitely something that I think we should all experience because you can't understand what it's like to feel different to everyone unless you have been completely different. And As a white female, that doesn't come across in Australia, no, not a minority.
2: Yeah, now obviously uh, most Australians know of Christmas Island because it is a place in which we detain uh, refugees. Um, but is there
3: more to Christmas Island that maybe people don't know? There definitely is. It's one of the most untouched environmental beauties of the world. And it's really sad because they're trying to start a tourism industry but it there's so much noise around the detention centre that it's hard Uh, to kind of get that out there so people understand like the amazing things it has to offer. Um, And it was hard to talk to people about living there because straight away they'd be like, oh, how's the detention centre and bring up a lot of the political side to it. And I just wanted to share the really awesome, um, amazing community that lived on the island and how culture culture and diversity was the most important thing to people there. But that wasn't seen on the news. Is the culture quite different in Christmas Island? The culture is so different. It's like throwing every single contrast in beliefs and views into a box and everybody gets along. And everybody takes on a little bit of that diversity. And it creates this kind of different culture where it's a Christmas Island culture of you can be a white Australian Christian and still go to the mosque to celebrate Ramadan. So it's really interesting where people want to take on other people's cultures but still have a strong identity of self.
2: Um, Where do you think that comes from in Christmas Island? Do you think it is because there are so many refugees there or has that been the case longer than the
3: refugee detention centre? So a bit of history. So Christmas Island, it started off an untouched land until there was a few uh, British white people who came out and found that it had a lot of phosphate, so they wanted to mine it. Um, But to mine it, they needed some cheap labour. So they got the Chinese to mine the land um, and the Malaysians were very good with boats and boating. So the Malaysians were brought out to kind of design a way to transport that phosphate back to the mainland of Australia. Um, And that's how the Chinese and the Malays made it up to um, Christmas Island. And then you had the white people and they kind of looked over the whole thing and did a lot more administration work for the mine. Um, But families have stayed there. Um, Everyone gets along And it's kind of that segregation of culture has changed and they've all assimilated together. And what was that community like? Is it quite a small community in Christmas Island? It's a a tiny community and everybody knows everything about everyone, which can work both good and bad. So if your family was going through some hardship, it would be very common for the community to get together and donate ridiculous amounts of money to support you. And um, at the same time, you have to really – um be careful about the identity you shape, and especially with um everybody knowing the jobs of my parents i It was hard to be a teenager where your dad's the sergeant police officer and you're trying to make friends, but yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I bet
2: and you know it, it would kind of seem like your dad's bit of the fun police as well yeah, as the actual so
3: police when um, i meet people in canberra they don't know everything about me when they first meet me you're listening but to Two double over there they knew everything about you before you could tell them
2: Part two of my conversation with a Canberra student who lived in Christmas Island will continue on next week's program of Caught in the Act. That's all we have time for today. Thank you so much, Josh and Loretta, for joining me in the studio. Thank you so much. It feels amazing to be back. Yeah, it's great to have you back, Loretta. Uh, As always, make sure you follow Caught in the Act on social media and subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts for all our latest episodes. Catch you next week.